Good morning, church. I'm Father Spencer, one of the co-rectors here at the table. Today I have the honor of proclaiming good news to you on Easter Sunday. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm going to need some help today as part of my good news proclamation. We'll just have a, a little tiny bit of call and response. So we're going to do this for the first time together. And if we need to practice it, we can. It's not a test. We're all in it together. Today we proclaim the good news that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Mal, Mal, Mal nailed it. We practiced at home, so she had an unfair advantage. So, I'm going to start off my good news with Christ is risen. In his rising, Christ calls us not to be death deniers, aloof and obtuse to the pain, injustice, death, and darkness all around us. But instead, He's inviting us to face death with clear eyes, standing in the knowledge that he has denied death its reign. His resurrection is not the end of the story. It is a new beginning. He is making all things new. And you are invited to join him in resurrection life today. Church, we are mistaken when we think of Easter as a happy ending. When we think of it as what Chris Green refers to as the happy ending to a bit of an inconvenient weekend. (laughs) Easter is not the end of the story. In its original context, it actually was quite upsetting. It was far too unexpected. It was unsettling in every way. They They did not receive it as a happy ending. The disciples did not enter the empty tomb and rejoice instantly. It was completely disorienting. Imagine... Someone who you thought to be the savior of the world, who you followed, who you gave up everything to follow and learn from, died, and then his body is missing. It would have been terrifying, confusing in every way. Church, for the disciples and for us today, the resurrection doesn't tie everything up nicely with a bow. The resurrection remains a mystery. In John... There's almost this dance-like choreography going on as it relates to this mystery of the empty tomb. First, Mary approaches, and she stays at a distance. She doesn't go all the way to the threshold. She doesn't go inside the empty tomb. But when she sees that the stone has been rolled away, she turns and runs to go get the others. And then there's this very kind of humorous detail of John and Peter running to the tomb. And John's faster than Peter, which is really important for us to know for some reason. But I see this as part of this this choreography. Mary stays at a distance from the tomb. And the only reason I think that it's included is because there's this juxtaposition, this difference in approach and distance to this empty tomb, to this mystery. John arrives first with Peter behind him. But John stops short at the threshold. And then when Peter finally shows up, probably gasping for air, (laughs) he goes straight in. And he sees the linens that Jesus had been wrapped in, lying there where his body had been. And he sees over to the side the cloth that had covered his face rolled up separately. And then John enters. Now the scripture says that John saw and believed, but he didn't understand. 
And then Peter and John returned to their homes. They returned to the world that they had left that morning. They returned to the world as they knew it, or so they thought. It seems important to mention the detail that this all happened while it was still dark. The first Easter Sunday that we're still here celebrating 2,000 years later, it was still in the dead of night. The resurrection had happened. Jesus had already defeated death, but the disciples remained desperate, devastated, not knowing what had happened, believing but not understanding. Peter and John leave, but Mary lingers, weeping outside the tomb. We have so many strategies and approaches to dealing with mystery and for dealing with pain as, as we feel it and experience it. As I was meditating on this passage this week, I resonated so much with rushing right inside, getting a feel for what's going on, and then rushing away from it. But what, I, what feels foreign to me is lingering on the doorstep of the empty tomb, still fearing that your Savior's body has been stolen, still devastated by that loss, angry, confused, bewildered. We often fear that if we feel the weight of pain and death and darkness, that we'll be completely overcome by it. Two years ago, in Easter of 2020, as we approached Easter, everything was locked down. I remember negotiating myself, uh, going through the stages of grief, I guess, is what it was in hindsight. Okay, I'm going to stay home for two weeks. I'll be a good boy, and I'll do, you know, not talk to anybody or breathe on anybody from you know, 15 feet away. I'll wipe down all my Amazon packages and my groceries. Two weeks, that's what I got in me. Then as time went on, I remember Father Ben distinctly saying, I'm really hoping we're going to all be back together by Easter. <laughs> we thought, yeah, we got to be back together by Easter. Easter two years ago looked a lot different than it will today. I remember canceling Easter plans. My family did not get together for Easter two years ago. We said that we were not going to get together because we want to be able to have more Easter's with my grandparents. That's why we kept our distance. Well, in January of 2021, my grandfather passed away. So we gave up his last Easter so that he could have more, and he's not here. I share this story because as I was meditating on this text this week, I noticed this natural inability within myself to linger in that loss. My kids do a great job of reminding me of it because they don't seem to have this same coping mechanism for turning a blind eye for loss and pain. In our Good Friday service, Remy leaned over to me and said, I wish he wasn't dead. I said, who are you talking about? He said, Jesus. And then he said, and Pat Alberni. <laughs> they oftentimes will carry photos of him around the house or talk about him just randomly on the way to school on a Wednesday. I'm not ready for that then. <laughs> I did not set aside time to enter into this right now. Just last week, there was a, a photo of him with Mallory and I out to dinner, sitting on my bedside table, 
And it was in the middle of the day, and I just slid it into the drawer. I can't look at that right now. How do you deal with pain and loss? Here, as Mary lingers outside the empty tomb, in the sadness, as she weeps, Jesus reveals himself to her. She still believes in this moment that someone has stolen the body in the night. She says, they've taken away my Lord. She's desperate for his body to be returned, and she pleads with who she thinks is the gardener to take her to it so she can return it. And then Jesus calls her by name, Mary. And instantly the fog is lifted, and she has eyes to see that Jesus is present with her in this moment. This, friends, is where Jesus is meeting you today. As we have just moved through Lent and this series on how to confront mammon, we've really come to grips with how we can't avoid it, how we live in a world and a system and a city that operates on the logic of a corrupt system, a system that perpetuates injustice and oppression and pain. And there's this urge to not sit there and linger in that tension. Let's just withdraw or let's ignore it. Let's act like it's not a problem. But here we are being drawn into lingering into that tension, into the grief we feel, into the injustice that we now have eyes to see around us. We're being drawn into this over the last few years, some of us, as we've been given eyes to see how the church that we received or maybe were born into has draped itself in the flag of an empire. And so you're given a choice. Do you withdraw? Do you ignore it? But once you have eyes to see, you are invited to linger there in that tension. In the midst of the devastating loss and overwhelming sadness that you've experienced, maybe the overwhelming sadness that you're in touch with today, it's okay to linger. It's okay to feel the sting and be present to where you are hurting, to where you're confused. It's good to notice what's missing and what's wrong. It's important for us to be able to name and notice what's not as it ought to be. Notice, Jesus doesn't shame Mary for not recognizing him. He doesn't shame her for not giving a proper celebration here. She's present for the first Easter. At some level, we could almost expect him to, like gladiator style, be like, are you not entertained? Like, I was just, okay, I was dead, and here I am. I mean, you're treating me like a gardener. But Jesus doesn't do that. He's quick to tell her not to cling to him because he has not ascended to the Father. There's so much that we could speculate about theologically here, what's going on. What does it mean about, so his body has risen, but it hasn't gone to heaven. It's... It's almost as if he's just communicating to her that something is different. His body has risen from the dead. He has come back to life. But this isn't the same thing as Lazarus coming back to life. Jesus isn't just going to pick back up where he left off and get back into his regular life. Not only has he returned, but now the tectonic plates of all of the cosmos, of all of creation, 
have begun to shift. And then the passage says that she's sent to go proclaim the gospel for the first time, to go and proclaim the good news of the risen Christ to the rest of the disciples. And it says, Mary, Mary says, I have seen the Lord. Notice the change in language from earlier in the text where she says, they have taken my Lord. And now when she goes to proclaim the good news, she says, I have seen the Lord. It's no longer just personal. Of course, it is still very personal. But now she's starting to see it. That it doesn't, it's not just her Jesus back to life, but her Jesus, now back to life, has begun to set all things right. Friends, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. In his rising, Christ calls us not to be death deniers, aloof and obtuse to the pain and death that we're surrounded by, that we experience and that we feel in our bodies, in our hearts, in our minds. But instead, he is calling us, he's inviting us to face death, to look upon it with clear eyes, and to stand in the knowledge that he has denied death its reign. His resurrection is not the end of the story. It is a new beginning, and he is making all things new. Church, you are invited to join him in resurrection life today. In 1 Corinthians 15, as Paul is contending for the reality of the resurrection to the church at Corinth, he says, If Christ has not been raised, then what is this all for? If for this life only have we hoped in Christ, then we above all people are to be pitied. But he is risen, and new creation has begun. Paul goes on to spell out the order of this new creation that is being birthed in reality. Easter is not the end. Christ is just the first fruits of this new creation. And then, next, he says, at his coming, all who belong to him will be raised. It isn't over until Christ has defeated every ruler every power, and all enemies have been put under his feet. And then comes the end. The text says, and then comes the end. When he will finally hand creation back over to the creator, when all has been set right and is finally as it should be and as it ought to have always been. Church, the tomb is empty, but it isn't over today. The world around you has not been set right but Christ has begun knitting the universe back together. And it's in knowing the end that will sustain you. Knowing that Christ has not abandoned his creation, but instead that Christ's resurrection is only the first fruit of the reconciliation of all things. That's what empowers you to carry on, to move forward looking death in the eye, lingering and noticing the pain, noticing what's wrong, but not being overcome by it. You don't have to have it all figured out. Bring your learnings. Bring your convictions from this series that we just ended on Mammon. Bring them to Jesus. He'll meet you where you're at. Bring your dissatisfaction with the church, the abuse you've experienced at its leader's hands, to Jesus. Don't ignore it. Don't pretend that it doesn't happen or that you haven't seen it. Don't withdraw and go into hiding. Look at it and name it for what it is. But know that Christ has overcome death in his death. And he is setting all things right. 
You don't have to nail this for Jesus. He is meeting you where you're at right now. Church, you have suffered great loss, many of you, especially in these past couple of years. Father Matt mentioned in his pastoral reflection that the last two years have felt like one long Lent. Just knowing some of your stories, I know that many of you have experienced close losses, surprising and devastating losses, friends that were in the prime of their life, grandparents who you thought you were going to have Easter with. Dreams that you had, children, parents, you have suffered great losses, and celebrating Easter today doesn't make up for that. It doesn't whitewash that or just cover it up. Linger in that loss in the knowledge and amidst this celebration. So where are you hurting today? Where are you scared? What is it that you've lost or that you feel like you're losing? Who did you lose? Is it your faith or your hope maybe? Mary wasn't exactly full of hope or faith or confidence when she lingered outside the empty tomb. But Jesus came to her and revealed herself to him. And then she was sent away to go and preach the gospel. Hold these losses in your heart today. As we renew our baptismal vows, as we prepare to come to the table of our Lord, come up here and linger at the table. Linger as you receive the body and blood of Jesus, holding this hurt in your heart, even if you can't drum up the hope right now. Linger. Your sustenance as resurrection people doesn't come from denying the existence of death or dissociating from it, but it comes from feasting on the one who denied death its reign. Church, Christ is risen. And in his rising, Christ calls us not to be death deniers, aloof and obtuse to the pain, injustice, and darkness around us. But instead, he is inviting us to face death with clear eyes, standing in the knowledge that he has denied death its reign. His resurrection that we celebrate today is not the end of the story, but it's a new beginning. And that's why we celebrate. He is making all things new. He is setting all things right And you are invited to be his resurrection people. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.